Hello, everyone. This is Mike Del Preti, and you're listening to Context. This morning, I am joined by Nicole Resnick, a tech trainer over at Side. Hi, Nicole. Hi. And among many things, one thing that makes Nicole special is that she was a student in my summer school class this past summer, which was, I don't know, it was something I kind of came up with where when my university class ended, over the summer, I wanted to keep things going. And I, I put a call out there to anybody in my network in the industry to say, hey, I'm going to do the summer school. We're going to get together over, I think it was over the course of eight, maybe eight or 10 classes, a couple months. Mm-hmm. And just get together and uh, we're going to kind of talk about the industry. I'll, 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 I don't know, lecture is kind of a big word, but, you know, I'll, I'll talk, share research and kind of guide conversation. And it was great. We had a group of uh, seven of us in total and Nicole was one of them. So thanks for coming up. Thank you, Mike. So, Nicole, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a tech trainer at Side, and you've been in the industry for a while. A handful of years. Before that, I was a teacher in elementary school, which folks can read it all over my face, but made the transition, I'll say, back to real estate. I grew up in real estate, around real estate. My dad was a developer and contractor. My mom's been a realtor and coach and leader of different brokerage offices for the last 20 plus years. Hmm. And along the way, I kind of picked up that I kind of loved the industry talk. I think this leads into why I was so interested in summer school with you. You know, a lot of people reflect on the things that they would do for free. That was a thing that I loved to do for free. I wanted to Hmm. talk to my mom about coaching that she was doing and talk about what conversation she was having when she was recruiting, what was happening, what was the culture. And so uh, that was a big reason of why I got into real estate again after teaching and kind of blended the two together. Is being an elementary school teacher good training for doing training for real estate agents? It's great training for life. Yeah. <laughs> you you fair, can fair. work on building that patience muscle that I think we all need. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, like let's go back in time a couple months. What was the interest you had in summer school? Why'd you apply? Curiosity. Mm. I mean, what a cool opportunity. You've been someone that I've followed. I love listening to real estate podcasts. I want to know what's happening in the industry. Um, But those opportunities are so one-sided. On the one hand, I'm grateful to get to listen in on what different thought leaders are thinking and saying. But to get to be in conversation, whole different opportunity. So jumped at the chance. I was just really curious at like what might come out of this. What Mm. could I learn from it? Was it what you expected? No, uh, in such a good way. (laughs) I I don't think I knew quite what to expect, Mike. Yeah, none of us did. Yeah, which, which is so great to be able to come in with kind of low, not low expectations, but just to the openness to like, where could this go? Mm. And it went really cool places. How, how did it shape up in an interesting, surprising, good way for you? You know, one thing that we got to do that I realized in reflection that was so different. If you follow different thought leaders, let's say on LinkedIn, right? Or they're sharing a newsletter or a blog. They're going to share about one topic in isolation. Mm. What we did in summer school was this week, we're going to talk about this topic. Here's a collection of different 
interviews, articles, research pieces, sometimes spanning three years, four years back, to be able to kind of zoom out and see a collection and a body of work and kind of dive into that a lot deeper. Mm -hmm. So much more rich conversation. And it's the difference between how we consume information now in snippets versus getting to sit down and have a whole intellectual meal. Mm. I love that intellectual meal. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and we are. We are kind of reading snippets. I mean, I will get comments and feedback from people sometimes who've just read the headline of one of my articles. Totally. And I mean, that's cool, right? Everybody's busy, but there's there's a lot more underneath that, and there's a lot more to dig into. So what's something out of out of summer school? Can you think of an instance where you where you learned something from that and you were able to apply it to your job? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So many takeaways. One of the things that came back over and over, and it did not matter what topic we were diving into, literally spanned, like if we were talking about brokerage models, if we were talking about search portals, like it was so transferable. Real estate is local. Mm. That is a truism that we hear so often that we don't stop to think about what it means. But that's something that I'm actively trying to incorporate into my work every single day. How can we make this feel and be as local as possible? Because that's how you can actually apply it and get something out of it. Yeah. How did that? Uh, so I'm curious to dig deeper into that and, and on both sides. So on the first side in class and the second side for your job, like what are you doing with it? So in class, how did that come through? I mean, was that me just saying like real estate's local, real estate's local every class or were there like specific <laughs> examples or something that was coming out of that? Uh, yeah, you know, you did say it, but also it was just there on the page, so to speak, thinking about like, let's take search portals. Mm. Zillow is the number one search portal here. What other countries, Mike, is it, it the number one search portal in? Right. Yeah, none. Yeah. So local. Okay. And then in terms of um, how you're taking that to your job, is that just like this deeper level understanding? Like, oh, real estate's local. I can't forget that. You know, we yeah. can't just make this generic for the whole country. It, it has to be there. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes maybe we have to or we're forced to talk about something in a generic way. But my challenge as an instructor is, can I pose the question or activity differently? So each person has to think about how they apply it locally. Like, what are the creative ways that I can take this one piece of content and make it actually useful no matter who is like engaging with it. How do you do that for real estate agents? How do you take information, knowledge, insights, content, and package it up in a way that a real estate agent is going to be receptive to that and listen to what you have to say? It's a challenge, and I don't know that I'm, I'm always succeeding at it, but I'm going to strive for it. You know, one of the things that I observe you doing as a teacher that is, I think, a tactic that will always be helpful for students is asking more questions hmm. than just talking at people. So you introduced this that you were lecturing. I don't I don't remember you lecturing at all. <laughs> I remember questions and then you'd sit back. Yeah. Right. And you'd you'd help arm us with like here's the content that 
we should all come prepared with, and then we're going to dive in. Hmm. And you had some great questions prepared. So when you've got those questions, that just invites someone to meet you there. Think about, well, what do I have? What do I have to bring to this? Right. No, that's a good point. It's not a one way. And, and I'm glad to hear that reflection because I don't, I don't exactly remember how much lecturing I was doing, but I do remember questions. And I think in a lot of, in, personally, in a lot of my work, it's often, and, and this is a quote, you know, I'm not coming up with this, but it's often knowing what questions to ask is the most important thing, right? Yes. And oftentimes you get sidetracked by not knowing what questions or just trying to answer something and, and not, not knowing what the, what the reason is or what the path is. So what, I, what I'm hearing you saying is in, in all kinds of learning or education or training, and, and for you, especially with agents, getting them engaged, it's about, I mean, simple. It's about asking questions. Yeah. Right? Just getting, getting them engaged. It's not a one-way transfer of information from you to them, but it's kind of understanding where they're at and engaging in a conversation. And through the conversation is where you can best train, educate, learn. Yep. Hmm. Awesome. Did anything surprise you out of summer school class? Absolutely. One of the topics that I really had the most fun with was when we were digging deep into different brokerage models. And probably the most surprising data that I was confronted with was looking into profitability and different measures of agent success, whether it was you know, units sold or total transaction volume and kind of breaking down different companies, what you had been seeing from them. I think we were looking at Q1 of 2023 just as a moment in time, Mm -hmm. but examining where low fee models landed, where other traditional models landed and kind of breaking apart the, the truism that we hear which is you get what you pay for. Yeah. <laughs> the question is, do you? <laughs> or what are the results that you're looking to achieve? And it looks like maybe some people are getting great results regardless of the air quote support mm-hmm. that's being offered. And I just, I loved that because it makes you have to really confront and grapple with what is it that agents want from their brokerage? What types of support are actually useful for them? So many great questions can come from that, just looking at that and thinking, okay, here's the facts. What do we want to do with it? Mm -hmm. Instead of just, I've heard so many industry leaders just say, you get what you pay for. Like, okay, but what about this? (laughs) You you can't really trust anyone or believe anybody. I mean, anyone, anyone. I mean, myself included, right? But I'd like to think I'm less biased. But if you're talking to any of these companies, reading press releases, listening to earnings calls, going to conferences, it's, it's so clearly going to be biased towards that business, right? Yeah. And, and I think you need the data. You need the evidence. And that's what's interesting to me about real estate is it's so nuanced, but it's so, at the same time, it's so counterintuitive, right? Mm-hmm. If you're an agent and you can work at a couple different companies and one has you know, tons of support, air quote support, offices, you know, training, they've got this great, incredible brand. And then this other company, you know, they, they don't offer that. You think, oh, well, you, you, you do get what you pay for, but it's, it's really all in the data. 
And of course, we have the, the tyranny of averages in the data too, where oftentimes we can only get averages. Mm. So it's, it, you know, there are outliers. There's definitely outliers. If you're a superstar agent, it kind of doesn't matter where you work. You're going to be a superstar no, no matter what. So it's, it's keeping that in mind as well. But yeah, I mean, it's, that, that, that was one of the striking things for me is how counterintuitive it was. And the data reveals, right? So yes, yeah. you do have averages, but if you have the same tyranny of averages across all companies, well, it's still apples to apples and you can look at that and, and spot those differences and kind of almost like deflate these idea balloons of commonly accepted wisdom mm -hmm. that don't apply in real estate or, or are not true all of the time in real estate. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is a theme that I think will keep coming up, it's not to say that the support isn't helpful. There is a growth cycle in someone's career trajectory in real estate, and there are things that are actually useful. It was refreshing to hear your conversation with Orly Ripmaster, mm. and she was shedding light on how she's getting to know the agents that she's working with in her market. She's, you know, coming up with these themes across the different people that she meets in the industry coming up with these personas. I think that this is a call to action for brokers to examine their services. Who do those match up with the agent that they're most wanting to connect with? And does that match up with the clients that they serve in their community? Right? When those things all align, I think it tells a story here in the numbers too. Mm -hmm. So since class ended, it's been a couple months, What's what's been on your mind? Is there anything you're thinking about, spending a lot of time thinking about that you wish we could kind of go back in time and, and unpack and talk through? Mm. I think, you know, the, the two big things that keep humming in the back of my mind, real estate is local and, you know, what is the experience that as a brokerage you're trying to craft for your agents that you're working with and for your clients? Mm. I think, you know, I have this hypothesis that brokerages that are succeeding this year have a really clear vision of who they are, what they do well, and who they're trying to connect with. It seems like, I don't know, Mike, do, do you have a sense that the winners are probably good at that? Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because I was just listening to another podcast recording that I did before this that isn't out yet, but it's, um, I was telling you about it, a guy named Scott at Real Trends. And, and that was exactly one of the themes out of that. You know, we talk about the shifting landscape and there's brokerages that know who they are and there's brokerages who are kind of stuck in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. It's the different being proactive versus simply reacting yeah. to what's going on. So I, I, think that's, I think that's entirely true. And there's certain, call it like anchors, attached to certain businesses and certain brokerages. And those anchors could be, oh, we've, this is how we've always done it, right? I've been here before. I've seen it done a, for 40 years. This is how we're going to do it. So it could be that. It could be something in the cultural DNA. It could be debt. You know, if you're a big company like anywhere and you have debt to service, it could be mm -hmm. being a public business like Remax that is you know, been profitable and pay, I don't know if they paid a dividend or not, but, but right, like they have investors and they expect a certain thing out of that business. Being a public company can limit your ability to make long-term bets and be more risky. 
So there's a whole lot of factors at play, like these anchors that can kind of slow businesses down and their ability to really truly be and act like what they want to be. Whereas, you know, on the other side of the equation, you have, I mean, the best positions are going to be private businesses like Orly's, right? That's a, that's a private business, um, well-funded, good balance sheet. And, and again, I'm, I'm not talking just about that business now, but trying to make it generic for all these brokerages, companies that have entrepreneurial founders that are still in charge, that are able to, you know, go fast, make decisions, move quickly, and not be inhibited by these other things. So yeah, like now more than ever, it's really important to know who you are right? To know who you are as a brokerage business and act accordingly. Because if not, you're stuck in the middle and that's where the losing businesses are going to be. Yeah. I wonder if it applies outside of brokerages too. I'm thinking about a company like Zillow making bets in new arenas, but also knowing where to stop investing, (laughs) right? It seems like, you know, that could be another example of a company that has a clear sense of their strengths. And, you know, willing to go out and try new things, but also willing to pull back. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good point. It's a good question. And, and all companies, I mean, Zillow, like any other public business, they're publicly listed. Zillow's like a really great, what's a really great car brand? Reliable, like a Honda. Okay. You know, Zillow's a great Honda. It's reliable. It's fantastic. This core business, Premier Agent, Flex, it's all about generating leads and selling leads to agents. And they're improving that over time. It's better and better and better and better and better, right? Like it is, it is reliable. You could set your watch to this. It's just, it's going and it's a, it's a really good business. But if you stretch back over the past, I don't know, six to eight years, I think there've been a couple instances where Zillow's tried to convince us that it's not a Honda, that it's a Porsche or it's a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or some, something else, right? Like a, a four by four Wrangler. Right, these things that are significantly different than a Honda. And the first instance of that was iBuying, right? When it went into iBuying. Yeah. It's, it's a Honda. It's really good at, you know, your daily commutes and it's reliable and, and that. But is it a Porsche? Is it a sports car? I don't know. You know, and it, it did that for a couple of years and to your point, then it pulled back. It stopped investing in that. Yeah. Like, no, actually we're we're not. And and recently we see the same thing with some of the new stuff that's to be fair, it's unproven. You know, there's the mortgage business and home loans. Mm -hmm. There's this idea of a super app, which is kind of undefined, right? We're still pulling that together. Well, what is that? What does it mean? You know, they're saying, well, yeah, we're not just a Honda anymore. We're a, we're a four by four. We can go on these dirt gravel roads. It's going to be great. And, and it's still a little too early to tell if that's true or not. But part of me thinks like, man, you're a fantastic Honda. Just, just be a Honda, you know, be really good and double down at that. But I think part of the challenge is as a public company, with strong entrepreneurial founders that are still in charge, how do you do that? How do you, how do you wake up in the morning and be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a reliable Honda. We are what we were, and we're just going to kind of keep on doing that. It doesn't make your blood run thick. It doesn't get you excited you know, right. to go out and change the industry and, and get your employees kind of fired up about, about something. Absolutely. There's a push for growth right? You have to have the answer ready to the question, where are we growing next? And I wonder how much of that is also just a symptom of like how much capital was out there. I mean, how many of these companies, not just talking about Zillow, but so many companies where it's like, if we don't grow now, do we miss the boat? Mm, Yeah. No, so much. I was chatting with somebody a week or two ago and they were saying, you know, and now it's, you know, it's, it's a bad climate 
to be trying something new in real estate, to be a real estate disruptor, right? It's a bad economic climate. And I, I corrected him and I said, I don't think it's a bad climate right now. I think it's an, a normal climate. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about the past 10 years was it was an exceptionally great time to disrupt in real estate because money was free. Yeah, There's billions of dollars of venture capital sloshing around the system. You can raise a lot of money, use it. And all of the disruptors, like all of the disruptors, when it comes down to it, money was their superpower. They were really fintech plays, right? Or just based on having a lot of money. Open door, you know, a lot of money, we're going to buy people's houses. Any of the power buyers, you know, buy before you sell, use our cash. Even Compass, we're going to raise a lot of money and then use it to buy up market share. You know, I kind of, I can keep going, you know, but now things have changed. And I wouldn't say it's a bad market. I'd say actually the outlier is this, you know, 0% interest environment where money is free. That's the outlier. That's not normal. Like that's not how the world works or, or capital markets work. Right now we're normal. So I'm, I'm really interested in business models that we see succeeding now because that shows us that there actually is a good product market fit. There's a good value. It's a sustainable business model where these companies can survive in all types of markets, not just ones where capital happens to be free. Yeah. So um, what questions you got for me? We'll turn the tables here. Do you have any questions you want to ask me? For sure. Okay. Your turn, Mike. Okay. All right. Did you get what you expected from summer school? I... So like you, um, my expectations were low going in. And that, well, it didn't mean I had low expectations. I just didn't have any expectations. I remember the hike I was on. I had a rough idea of this. And I thought, oh, this is great because I wanted to do something in person. Sick and tired of Zoom. So I wanted to do something local. And I didn't want to meet up, right? Meetups are really unstructured. You don't know who's going to show up, right? It could be the same group of people, different people. People will come and go. And there's no real structure to that. And on the other side, I didn't want to do what I do in class, which is literally me, well, you know, lecturing, right? Up in, in a classroom in front of a screen with slides, talking. So I was thinking, oh, let's, let's just try something in the middle. And, and for me, oftentimes, that's all I need to move forward. It's a rough idea where to go next, and that seemed like a good place to go. So I didn't have many expectations, but I loved it. The, the group of people we had was varied from a variety of companies and professions across the industry. And it was really cool to have that as, as a thought group to be able to compare, right? You know, we had a real estate agent. We had, uh, you know, like someone like yourself working in, in training in real estate, other people from like an HR standpoint, other people that, that weren't actually, were more in an adjacency to residential real estate as opposed to, to being right there in it. So there was a wide variety of opinions, and I really, I loved that, and I loved the opportunity to, um, you know, kind of marinate these ideas around. Oftentimes, I get my best ideas and best thinking just from talking to someone else about them. Such a good group of people. It was so fun just to see what conversations would spark each week. Yeah. And one of the biggest challenges I had was just keep it on track, right? Because you could follow (laughs) these conversations and just have a great, awesome conversation. But at the end of the day, the commitment I made to you all was that you were going to learn something. And if we're just following the conversations around, I can't guarantee that, right? So I, I wanted to make sure we kind of hit the themes, you know, hit upon the main learnings and points that I wanted to get across. So yeah, keeping, yeah. keeping everything guided was the, the biggest challenge. Yeah. So what new ideas or changes in your thinking were sparked out of some of those conversations? 
Well, I think a great example is the last mile problem. Yeah. So that's something I've been talking about recently. I've I talked about it on stage at Inman. I've been bringing it up in podcasts and interviews. I'm working on a report where I'm going to publish something on that as well. That didn't just come out of thin air. I didn't just wake up. You know, it's not like there's some sort of insight, immaculate conception where I wake up in the morning and suddenly it's this thing here. The idea of the last mile problem, the ingredients of that have been bouncing around my head for months and months and months, maybe even longer than that, a year. But I remember in class, in summer school, it was something we talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I brought it up or I brought something up around it. I think I asked you all like, have you ever heard of this thing called the last mile problem? It's in logistics and nobody did. And we kind of talked through it. So that form for me was really helpful to develop that idea and flesh it out, get feedback, get ideas around it and see what came out of it. And I'm really happy with where it ended up. Yeah, it's a good one. There's so many transferable themes, whether it's from the world of tech, the world of startups, the world of business, what other sources do you pull from for inspiration or maybe areas that are outside of real estate that keep popping up? I mean, I like to read. So history is, is one. I'm a, I'm a big reader. I'm a big history buff. I almost went to school and, and majored in history. So I'm, I've read tons of historical books and I'm always reading more. And it sounds, you know, it sounds weird. What's the overlap between the Battle of Thermopylae and what's going on in real estate right now. And, and you can't make a connection, but it's, it's all there. It just all adds into what you're thinking about and what's going on. And, you know, I can read about, this is going to get super deep, but the campaigns of Napoleon in Spain and the Napoleonic Wars and, and you know, fighting against Wellington. And there are parallels between that, right? There, there are parallels between multiple forces at play trying to overtake someone else or gain a competitive advantage, whether it's two armies or two real estate portals. So there, there are similarities there that, that really just spark that inspiration in me. And, and I think the other one, again, it actually all comes down to reading. The other one is just expanding from that. So I'm re right now I'm rereading Guns, Germs, and Steel which mm. is great. Have you read that? Heard of it. Okay. Now it's, bump to the top of the list. Okay. It's all, you know, it's awesome, right? But you, you, you read that and you learn about and dig deep about evolutionary biology and how things kind of, you know, that's one aspect of it, right? And how and why certain things, whether it's plants or humans, evolve and develop the way they do in, in certain locations. And it just, I don't know, it gets your brain firing. It gets my brain firing and you, you pull that back in. You know, so I'm, I'm always kind of circulating all of that stuff around. So I think that's, yeah, that's probably where I get most of my inspiration at this point. It's from pulling my head out of real estate, doing something else and seeing what comes out of it. I love that. Cool. All right, I have one more question one for more. you though. Okay. okay. You're a teacher. You're also a father. We know this. We got to hear Allie on the podcast. I love that episode. I want to know... In all of your interactions with our upcoming generations, what are you seeing that gives you hope? Mm. What am I seeing that gives me hope? When I look at my kids and when I look at my students, who are not too far away in age at this point, what gives me hope is the openness and the curiosity and the kindness that I see. So I'll dig a little deeper. The kindness so the college students that I, that I teach, 
you know, millennials or whatever gen this is, Gen Z, I, I don't know. But there's this idea that young people these days are on TikTok and Instagram and just like texting, you know, communicating electronically and they can't communicate in person nor empathize or they're, you know, obsessed about the ads that are being served to them in Facebook or Instagram and just, you know, used to instant gratification, right? It, it kind of like this abrasive, annoying generation, right? That we just can't relate to. And that's not the case at all. You know, I'm constantly surprised with my college students, pleasantly surprised at how kind they are, you know, how much they value learning. They'll come up to me, you know, before or after class or at the end of the semester, the start of the semester, just to introduce themselves. You know, and at first I'm like, what's your angle? Why, what, why, what's going on? What do you want? You know, but they're, they're just introducing themselves, saying hi and, you know, make face to a name. And, and that's that extra level of kindness that I wouldn't expect for a generation, you know, that's grown up on iPhones and social media. Right. So it's, it's really nice. Like there's a real true personal connection and, and bits of empathy out of that, that, that come out of that and this, this excitement. And the excitement is, is what leads into the second thing, this idea of curiosity. So I see it with my girls and, you know, listeners will have heard it with my episode with Allie where I did that. And if you haven't heard it, take a listen. That's where Allie's asking me some questions based on some of my research. But there's a deep curiosity there. Like Allie has been in the background of my work for years, especially during the pandemic when I'm on phone calls, you know, she'll, she knows more than is good for any teenager about Zillow and Open Door and iBuyers just <laughs> through osmosis, just listening into this stuff. And she's interested in it. She wants to learn more. She wants to audit my class. So she'll come up and sit in and take notes. And that's cool, right? Nothing's driving her to do that. But there is there is this deep curiosity like, oh, I'm interested in this. I want to learn more. And I see the same thing come out of my students in class, whether it's through a guest speaker or, you know, me a couple of weeks ago lecturing about purple bricks. This thing that, you know, happened at this point years ago, but they get it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. I want to go deeper. I want to learn more. And what I love hearing at the end of the semester is there's always a couple students who will come up to me and say, I didn't realize how interesting this was. I didn't realize how interesting real estate, residential real estate was. You know, the Rosillo, and I've, I see Coldwell Banker signs, and that's it, right? But there's so much more. And they love it, you know, and they say like, man, I want to I wanna keep going, keep doing more here. So I, I think those are a couple of things, that kindness and the curiosity that I'm seeing. That's not half bad. That's no, great. It's good. It's, <laughs> if that's your foundation, then you can, you can have some hope for the future. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Well, Nicole, thanks so much for coming up and doing this. My, I, thank I, you. I mean, summer school was such an incredible opportunity. Summer so. school was great. It was a lot of fun. And... We'll, we'll have to do it again. We'll get the crew back together. We'll figure something out. One last ride. One last <laughs> ride. All right. Thanks, Nicole. I'm Mike. More podcasts and research and stuff on my website, mikedp.com. And we'll catch you all later. Thanks.